many procedures involve a lot of creativity. Uh, and there's certainly many of the procedures that I do, um, whether it be fracture work or, you know, doing, you know, joint replacements, things like that. There's a lot of creativity there. Welcome back to another episode of the Making Magic podcast. I'm Sean Jay, your host, and I'm a professional magician, speaker, and 3D designer. And this is all about inspiring conversations with the movers, the shakers, the visionaries, and the makers, the wizards behind the curtain that make the magic for you. Now, if this is your first time tuning into the show, thank you so much for doing so. It really does mean a lot to me because I put a lot of hard work into each and every one of these episodes. Whether you're listening to the sound of my voice on any one of the popular podcast apps or on YouTube, hopefully you'll decide if you're a podcast type of person that you'll uh, follow the show. Follow me along for the ride and uh, leave a healthy review of the show. And if you're here on YouTube, feel free to give this show a thumbs up, comment below, turn on the notification bell, and subscribe. You guys know what to do because I'm all about getting your creative gears turning, and that's what this show is all about. Whether you feel like you're stuck with a certain thought pattern and you want to break out of your current thought pattern, if you feel boxed in and trying to be inspired to think in new ways, well, I've got some of the world's most creative people that are sharing their process with you on this show. So I hope you decide to join me on the journey and I'll be releasing episodes like every week now. So I hope you guys are enjoying this stuff. So with all that being said, let's learn a little bit more about our next guest. Hey, Dr. Bruce Wallach, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Making Magic Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Sean. I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm honored to for you to have me as a guest. Awesome. Yes, this is going to be a great chat. We're going to dive deep into uh, learning a little bit more about you and what you do, and hopefully uh, by learning these things, it's going to inspire people to get their creative gears turning, because even though you're not a prop maker and you're not a performer or anything, you do things that many people would be considered magic or magical. Uh, so I saw your resume. It's pretty extensive. You have an insane amount of training. But for, for the viewers and listeners, I'll let you uh, just give a basic intro of who you are and what you're about. So go for it. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, uh, I guess in terms of my uh, training and how I got to where I am, <clears throat> I started um, it with, uh, you know, college uh, at uh, Johns Hopkins and then uh, majored in uh, biomedical engineering. And then from there, I went on to medical school at uh, Case Western Reserve in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, and then I came back to uh, Hopkins for a, what's called a residency in uh, orthopedics, uh, which is basically five years of kind of uh, uh, training for, you know, going into the field that I've eventually uh, in, pra in practice now. And then after that, I did two fellowships. So that's extra training. Uh, and uh, one of them was in uh, sports medicine. Uh, and then I uh, did that here locally in Baltimore. And then the second uh, was in um, hand surgery and upper extremity surgery. And that was at uh, Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Uh, and then after that, I came back to Baltimore uh, and um, I ra actually ran the uh, in, in private practice here in Baltimore. I did run the hand clinic at, at Hopkins for about five years uh, at the beginning. And then uh, uh, um, have been strictly in private practice 
really since since I came back to Baltimore. Uh, and I guess, you know, I've been involved in, uh, you know, lots of different types of surgeries, uh, uh, arm transplant surgeries um, with the, a part of the arm transplant team at Hopkins. That's probably been one of the highlights of my career. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that right there is magical. Taking taking someone who who's missing a limb and then magically, magically giving them back that limb and that, and that movement and motion. That's, that's amazing. So uh, thank you for, for giving us that intro. So now we have some context here. So um, I always like to start off each episode with a story. And so in your case, uh, Dr. Wallach, uh, I'd like you to share, uh, share with us your story on how you originally got into orthopedic surgery and this could be good or bad and funny, funny stories are always welcome. Sure. Yeah, so when I was in college, uh, as I mentioned, I was a biomedical engineer, so it was kind of really not a typical path to go to medical school or become a doctor. Right. Um, I, uh, but uh, during college, during the summers, I worked down at a biomedical engineering lab uh, at the medical school, and they were doing what's called auditory neurophysiology research, or basically research into how the, uh, you know, how uh, signals from the ear go to the brain and how they're processed. And um, while I went worked there for two summers, and while there, really my plan was to probably go on and to, you know do some research into some type of biomedical engineering. And I remember talking to the docs, the, the PhDs, really the the, the physicians there, uh, uh, but most of them were PhDs and not medical doctors. And they said to me several times, "If you want to get grants, which is basically the lifeblood of research, they said it's a lot easier to get grants with an MD than with a PhD." So at that point, I, you know, I'd been thinking about possibly going to med school and that kind of really pushed me in that direction. Um, and so I basically, uh, after, you know, doing a couple of years that I, you know, you need to apply in their third year of college, I basically decided I better apply, you know, let me apply to some medical schools, which I did. Um, and I, you know, I think that that's, uh, there are actually some really kind of, uh, nutty stories about certainly med school interviews. I mean, I, I, uh, this really wasn't kind of my forte in terms of, uh, you know, I wasn't planning on this at all. Uh, and so what I did is, is uh, I mean, I went on one interview down at uh, Baylor, uh, uh, down in Texas. And I guess for some reason, I've forgotten my, you know, nice dress shoes. for the, These are in-person interviews and they, they count for a lot. So all I had was my tennis shoes. And uh, so I go for my interviews down there. I didn't even think of like going to a store and buying a nice pair of shoes. I mean, I guess I just wasn't raised that way. My dad you know, my was fairly frugal and it was like, there wasn't kind of thing you just go out and just, you know, spend money. And so um, I'm at this interview and they, uh, I, I have these tennis shoes on and my interview is with a, a female psychiatrist. Okay. And uh, I'm just like thinking to myself, oh my God, this woman is like analyzing me. Here it is. I have tennis shoes on this, at this fancy interview with my suit coat. Uh, and uh, And to make matters worse, um, I guess I, when I shaved that morning, I scra- I had cut myself. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the interview, I touched my face, and there's blood there. And I guess I'd started bleeding right in this middle middle of this interview. Oh no! So uh, so that was uh, that was one crazy story. Another one was when I interviewed here at University of Maryland. Um, the, one of the docs he said uh, to me, uh, "How much do you think the average person makes?" and and I guess at that time I thought, well, the average salary of people in in the country is probably I don't know twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a year. Okay. And after that, he said something to me: "You've led a very sheltered life." 
And afterwards, I'm thinking, well, he probably meant how much does the average physician or doctor make, which was probably at that time much more. Right. So uh, he, either way, actually, the funny part about that is that he clearly knew I wasn't going into it for the money. Uh, right. And actually, yeah. I got accepted to that in, after that one pretty quickly. So that's kind of uh, how I kind of got to the med school thing. And then as far as orthopedics is concerned, you know, when you go to med school, the first two years is all um, book work, you know, book work and cadavers and things like that. But the last two years is what you, they call rotations, where you basically you go through the different specialties and you spend, you know, weeks or months doing certain rotations, internal medicine, uh, OBGYN, surgery with the subspecialties, pediatrics. So my first rotation, I, I really don't want to say which one it was, but, um, you know, I, it was like two or three months and I'm doing this rotation and I'm thinking, okay, maybe I could see myself doing this in the future. I'll, I'll see, you know, let me see what my rest of my rotations are. The second rotation was surgery. And uh, one of my first um, weeks of doing surgery was uh, a subspecialty in orthopedic surgery. And as soon as I did that, I shook my head and I said, oh, my God, this is like banging your head against the wall. And you don't know how much it hurts until you stop banging it. <laughs> That's what the first rotation was like. It was just real, literally painful compared to what the orthopedic rotation was like. It was just it was fun. It was positive. It was just I knew I knew right then I said, this is probably what I'm going to do. And this was my you know the beginning of my second rotation. And sure enough, each rotation I did after that, you know, nothing compared. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how I got into orthopedic surgery um, and how I kind of, you know, got into the whole field. I thought that was funny, actually, going back to your first story about something um, sitting there with the psychologist and then, you know, you're you're looking a certain way. And then and then she, she was probably making us all kinds of assumptions about who you were, you know, with the shoes and then you, and then the face. And then it was just like, can you imagine what her dialogue was? You know, this guy must be. You know, yeah, I mean, I, I got to say I, I was uh, I mean, I was a little little bit more than a little bit nervous, um, uh, you know, and I'm just like thinking, oh, my God, this woman, you know, is just I mean, didn't matter what sex she was, but just a psychiatrist. And I'm just thinking, you know, I'm sure they're analyzing something in, about what has happened here. I'm, not only do I bleed, I have my my Adidas on. It's like, oh, my God, it was just yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, well, that that's proof that everybody makes assumptions based upon what they see really quick, and it doesn't. Most right. of the times, it's not true. All right, and and you know what? To, to make matters uh, better, I actually I got eventually got accepted to that med school too. So, so it didn't hurt that hurt, hurt matters much. There you go. Well, that I'm glad it all worked out, and it didn't yeah. it didn't uh, hamper anything too too much. Okay, um, what was I don't know if you already answered this, but what was the uh, reason why you went into that field? So, you know, the um, so orthopedics is just really a, a very, in general, a very positive field, in my opinion. There's, you know, not a lot of people have really horrible, serious in, in, illnesses. You know, it's not like I'm an oncologist where I'm dealing with people who are have these life-threatening diseases, cardiac surgery, vascular surgery, where these people just have these horrible, horrible uh, you're constantly dealing with people that are really very sick. Uh, yeah. It's quite the opposite in general, unless you go into orthopedic oncology. Um, you know, you're you're really uh, you're dealing with very motivated uh, patients. In other words, people are motivated to get better. So it's a very positive field. People want to get better in general. You know, there, there's a number of other things. 
surgery in general is a very creative thing. I mean, every surgical procedure, you know, you do is a creative thing. Yes. Particularly, I'd say particularly orthopedics, but many other specialties, plastic surgery, I'm sure is like that too, where literally you're creating something. Every, every surgery you do, you're not every, but a lot of them, you're creating something out of, you know, where something didn't either didn't exist or wasn't doing well, whether you do a joint, you know, or joint replacement, that's, you know, creating a new joint from a joint that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly a carpal tunnel syn- uh, release, that's not terribly creative, but there's many procedures I do that are, that are quite creative. So if you like to be creative and work with your hands, which I do, it's a great field. Mm. Um, I've always liked to work with my hands. I remember as a kid growing up, I mean, my friends and I, we would all get together and we would, you know, build these, you know, plastic models with the glue and everything. And mm. and we would all get together and, you know, build, build things or whether it was these airplanes, you know, the little airplanes that you fly around, we'd sure. get together, we'd build those and put the motors on them and, you know, the engines and fly those around. So I was always doing that Chem- chemistry sets, again, just kind of playing with your hands. And so I've always been kind of somebody who's creative. I mean, I, I still do that even, not even with surgery. I mean, I do, uh, you know, a lot of um, bonsai, which is, which again, is it's a very creative thing. You're, you're, you're dealing with uh, kind of these miniature trees and, and you're dealing with a, uh, it's like a living sculpture kind of thing. So, so, uh, so, I mean, I think that's really what, it was a natural for me. Uh, you know, I, you know, even in shop when I was in, when I was in high school, mm. uh, where, where we would do woodworking, things like that. I built lots of things in shop and I really enjoyed it. In fact, I still have a few of the things that are created to this day. We still use every mm. once in a while. So it's a very, it's a positive creative field. And so if you like to work with your hands, uh, if you like to deal with people, make people better, I mean, it's a great field. Yes, and and the people that get into that field have to be very, very sure about it because it also requires a ton of schooling, which can be seen on your resume, right? Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's not like what it's not like being a carpenter. I mean, a carpenter, we, we deal with biology in addition to the carpentry. Uh, so so in other words. We're not just like, you know, cutting bones and things like that. We're actually dealing with the healing and the biology of that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it does take a lot of, uh, unfortunately, it does take a lot of schooling and things like that. So uh, hmm. we're not just glorified carpenters, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, some, it's something that requires serious uh, effort and and people really got to be into it. But as you said, it's, it's a great thing to get into if people enjoy working with their hands and they enjoy biology. And those things. So, uh, knowing what you know right now, what what would uh, you wish you could have told yourself earlier on, maybe in your career, that would have prevented you from making the mistakes that maybe happened along the way? Because I'm sure not everything goes according to plan, and sometimes it's just not perfect. Yeah, no, I think that um, everybody makes mistakes. <clears throat> I, I got to say, um, I've been pretty satisfied. I don't have a lot of regrets. Uh, I've had a pretty rewarding career. Uh, I'm kind of maybe towards the uh, tail end of my career, but I, I I feel good. You know, I feel healthy. I, I have no plans to retire anytime soon. You know, I, I would say probably if I were to say I had one regret or one mistake is possibly uh, maybe not work quite so hard early on and maybe spent more time with my uh, family and kids uh, just because, uh, um, you know, the, the harder you work, the less time you have for your family. Professionally, well, I don't. Yeah, no question. I've had complications and and uh, and mistakes there, and 
you know, failures. And maybe we can get into that, you know, a little bit later in the interview, but I think that's probably, probably my biggest regret. Um, I mean, it, the, you know, the funny thing is now sometimes my wife will say to me, you know, uh, why are you doing that? And I'd say, trying to make up for lost time, you know, in other words, spending time with my kids or, or, you know, doing things with them. Uh, yeah. Trying to, uh, make up for lost time. I mean, I know it's not specific, specific to my career, but I guess it's, it's, you know, being, you know, uh, a person, you know, rather than, rather than my professional career, maybe my personal uh, life. Well, yeah. I mean, it's all part of personal and, and professional development, just like prioritizing your time and, and yeah, so it, it, it all falls, falls within that. Yeah. Back in the day, I mean, I prioritized it probably too much in the terms of, uh, you know, my professional career. I mean, people would say to me early on, how did you get so busy? You know, and the answer is, yeah, because I never said no. You know, if somebody said, hey, can you do this? And yes. Yeah. I was always available. Got it. So you were like a yes man. I was. I was. I mean, you learn early on. I mean, you only have to say no once or twice before people move on and, and send send. uh you know, send those referrals elsewhere. So, you know, they, it frustrates them to, to, to uh, get a no. So, yeah, I guess over time from being a yes man so long, you got, you got perhaps a little bit more adept at learning the right times to say no, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've tried to get better and better at it. I, you know, I cut my schedule back a little bit, uh, but I, you know, I currently have a uh, secretary who she's like the way I used to be, doesn't like to say no ever. And so uh, it's funny that we're taping this on Halloween because today I got into the office and she had two T-shirts. Um, and it's it's a saying from um, a, a, a old movie. I think it, I think it was the Sandlot. And basically one of the uh, one of the T-shirts said, you're killing me, Smalls, because I always say you're killing me, Kelly. And then her, my T-shirt said that her T-shirt was Smalls. And, uh, and so that was our Halloween costume for uh, for today, because, you, you know, it's just. She even she doesn't like to say no, um, because it's just you know she likes to kind of keep me busy. Gotcha. Yeah, if she's busy, then you're busy, and she probably right. likes to be busy. I guess. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. What about in in your field then? Uh, are there any uh, recent discoveries that you've made in the field of orthopedic that kind of are getting you excited this year, or or in the upcoming? years, like anything on the cusp of development? Yeah. So I think, you know, discovery wise, I mean, <clears throat> I think, and this isn't specifically my discovery, but what would go along with that is I've been uh, privileged to be a part of the uh, Johns Hopkins uh, arm transplant team. Uh, and I guess we've been with this team for about 10 years, maybe 12 years. Um, and uh, we've uh, basically done, you know, occasional arm transplants. And I think that's really been uh Quite, quite rewarding and, and uh, really quite interesting. Um, mm. And uh, in, over the 12 years we've done, I guess, transplanted uh, five arms on three patients. So mm. that's really been quite a, uh, quite a challenge uh, when we do them and, and really just, you know, really very interesting and, and rewarding not only for us, but also for the patients. I mean, we have, uh, I don't know how, how detailed you want me to get into it, but it's basically, it's a large team um, of uh of highly trained surgeons, microsurgeons, orthopedic surgeons, plastic surgeons, you know, mostly hand surgeons. And, um, you know, we, we basically have intermittent meetings down at Hopkins. Hmm. Um, it was initially run by, uh, uh, Dr. Lee, Andy Lee. And then now it's been taken over by Jamie Shores at Hopkins. 
Uh, and basically, uh, we transplant arms onto patients. In general, most of them are, have no arms. Yeah, so they're they're bilateral or, or b- both arms are gone. Mm. One patient had no arms or legs, uh, and so that's to me. Well, any of these are life changing when you have no arms. But have no arms and legs, he couldn't walk. He couldn't do anything for himself. Mm. Uh, these are mo- these those two cases. The bilateral were both. Um, uh, veterans, uh, I think Afghanistan or Iraq, uh, IED explosions. And so the guy with the, you know, with no, um, arms or legs, I mean, he actually, after surgery, he was able to walk because he could put prostheses on his legs. So mm-hmm. not only could we use his arms, but he could also walk, um, because he could put prostheses on his legs. So that's an incredible life changing thing. Um, and then th- we did another one bilateral also, you know, two arms and then one was a unilateral single arm. Um, so that, that's really quite an experience, I think, and I think quite quite a uh, you know amazing uh, uh, you know technological um, accomplishment. It's quite the thing. I mean, I thankfully never had to have any of that type of assistive surgery in my life. But uh, when when you think about it, is it just like you said it was a team? So it's not just one guy. It's a it's a whole bunch of people in a room over. Yeah each one is assigned a different task and they're over this, this person. They're getting out the nerves, uh, the mm-hmm. arteries, the muscles, they're preparing the bone. Well, cause we have the, through, through preoperative planning, we, we want to, we know, have a pretty good idea how long we want the, um, the bones to be for the, you know, the, uh, recipient as well as the, um, um, the donor. Mm-hmm. And then there, then there's two more teams and each team is consists of four people. So there's, there's probably a good 16 people in this room, uh, and maybe more. And, uh, and then the other two teams are preparing the arms, uh, for the donor, the recipient arms for the donor uh, arms. And then once everybody's all ready and got everything, uh, you know, particularly on the donor arms, I, I tended to work on the uh, recipient arms rather. The donor arms have tons of scar there from explosions and, and, uh, uh, and for then from their subsequent surgeries they had, we had to literally get out the um, um, uh, nerves, arteries, veins, things like that, tag them with little tags so we know what's what. And so mm. we can hook up the appropriate things to the appropriate things. I mean, I, so my, uh, you know, my team did that. I, I, my team, you know, I work with uh, some really unbelievably talented surgeons in general, Jim Higgins, uh, um, Ryan Katz. Are both really talented hand surgeons at the uh, Curtis Hand Center, uh, and so and we uh, we basically uh, worked on um, the donor arm, I mean the recipient arms together, and then once the donors were ready, they'd bring them in, and then what we do is we the first thing we do is the bony work. In other words, plates and screws on the bones. You need bony stability, and then after the bony stability, then you do the muscles and the ligaments. Mm. That's the next to go to do to go, and then after that, it's the nerves and the arteries. Um, and so I tended to work on kind of the, the preparation of the, uh, my personal part of this. And again, this is a 12 hour procedure or more. Mm. My personal, you know, I, I'm a part of this huge team, as you know, my personal part is I would tend to work at the beginning, you know, to get the, the preparation work together. They bring in the, uh, recipient arm. We do plates and screws, uh, and, um, and it could be at the, um, at the arm level, at the shoulder level, in other words, some of the transplants we did mm. uh, were, okay. were at the level of the um, humerus, like in this area here. Some okay. of them were actually at the forearm level, so right in here. As you might imagine, a little more difficult here because there's two bones to put together, um, whereas here it's just one bone to put together. Okay. So we did the transplants 
you know, or in various places uh, on you know, different patients. Um, and then um, once the bony, we had, you know, you achieve bony stability, yeah. uh, then we would do the muscles and the ligaments and the tendons. And then at that point, um, I, I would let the micro team take over and then they would do the nerves and the arteries and things like that. So it's quite an accomplishment. I mean, as I said, it takes a long time, a lot of micro work, uh, yeah. long procedure. Um, here, here's actually, I don't know if you want to see the, this is a photo of the team from one of the surgeries we did. Sure. So you can see, I think I can't remember, 15, 16 surgeons there. Um, and again, it was, it was at that, this point, it was run by, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it looks like more than uh, 13. Yeah, it could be. There's a lot of people there. Yeah, it was run by a guy named Andy Lee, who's uh, right uh, right here. He was the head of the transplant program at that time. Yeah. And Jamie Shores is now that he runs it. Uh, Jim Higgins is here. He he was uh, very instrumental uh, in uh, in this program. And, and uh, so they're all really talented people and, and uh, incredibly smart. Yeah, yeah. I, I I counted. I believe that was eighteen people. In that yeah, team. yeah, yeah. There's it's it's a big team. So so you know I'm I'm a part of a big team, but it was uh yeah it's really very uh, uh you know it's not a ton of those that are done throughout the world. Uh, so it was pretty. Uh, in, in my opinion, it was it was an honor to be included, but also it was just it was just really you know, so many things I do these days are reasonably routine. There's nothing about an arm transplant that's, that's routine. I mean, we, we did tons of training for these cases in, in terms of we would have meetings mm -hmm. just to go over the theory and just what we we're going to do, where we're going to cut the bone, how long one the donor arm is going to be, how long the recipient arm is going to be, how are we going to put the, where are we going to put the plates and screws? You know, you know, what are we going to do with the nerves and arteries? How about the skin or, you know, because you need the, the huge skin flaps. Um, and we even did cadaver dissections a few times, just as practice sessions for these people. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, you know, you don't know when the recipient's going to be available. And, you know, the recipient has to be basically an organ donor. And uh, so you got to wait. Uh, these these cases, yeah, these cases tend to go, um, you know, in the middle of the night. Um, uh, I feel like uh, we frequently started these cases around midnight. Um and actually, the the first one we did, it's actually that is that's a if you want a funny story, that's a reasonably good story. Sure, let's um, do it. I uh, we got a call about it. I can't remember. It was it was sometime in the maybe it could have been the day before, the night before that they think they have a donor. They're not sure. And basically, you have to travel to where the donor was. I think the donor was in Pittsburgh. And um, so there's a team. I wasn't a part of the team that traveled to Pittsburgh, but basically. You, you know, you take the arms after they they take they harvest various organs, and then they they take the arms. And I think the heart and lungs are the last to, last to be harvested, mm. um, and then they would put them on ice and they'd bring them to Baltimore. And uh, anyway, I think they wanted us there around midnight on a Saturday night. Uh, down at, we all went down to Hopkins to be ready, and I think we probably didn't start till like two a.m. But um, we had get we had a dinner party that evening, and so I remember. Uh, uh, with my wife having dinner guests um, over that evening. And, and I said to them, I said, look, I, I'm going to stay for an hour or two. But I said, probably around nine or 10, I'm going to go in bed and try to take a short nap before I have to run down to Hopkins, um, which I did. You know, I didn't sleep very well. But uh, anyway, I took a short nap, went down there. Anyway, the next night I had tickets uh, to, to see Dave Matthews downtown in Baltimore Okay. Or like I'd been really looking forward to it. It's a small arena. I had good seats. You know, it's not, there's not a bad seat in the house. 
my wife said, you're not going to this, are you? Cause I'd been a basically up almost all miss most of the night. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, we're going. <laughs> so we, we went to the concert and I think after about an hour, hour and a half, I was just starting to doze in my seat and it was just painful. So I had to leave early, but anyway, I did go to the concert. You went to the concert. Was it, you said the same night that you were supposed to do that? Surgery? No, it was the night after. Oh, so I, we did the transplant. Okay, okay. So we had the dinner party. I did the transplant at midnight, whatever, uh, you know, the next morning, uh, you know, I go home. I, I, I literally, um, I, I, um, got dressed Went. I had to go straight to the office to, to see patients in the office and then got home. And then that evening, the next evening we had tickets and she just said to me, we're not going to this concert. And I said, <laughs> yeah, let's go. I said, I, I can't. So we went. So well, it was good. It was worth it. Well, you're a, uh, you're a real machine then. I mean, I would, be, I would have been exhausted after doing something like that at that hour. And then I would have been like, no, I'm staying back. I don't want to go. Yeah. There. I mean, that's kind of, you know, I mean, that's kind of, unfortunately, that's what you get trained for in, in you know, your residency. You just spend a lot of time awake. And I think that's half the training of the residency is being, you know, being, being ready to be awake. I remember in fellowship uh, in Boston, we were, um, when we were, you know, putting fingers back on all the time. Uh, I remember, you know, my longest procedure there that I, I personally did was 16 hours um, putting on multiple fingers on a hand. Now, I wasn't, uh, I did get a break during that 16 hours, but my longest time under the microscope, you know, no, no breaks, nothing was 12 hours. Um, that's, that's a long time. I, I mean, with the microscope using microforceps, that's unbelievably, I never would even think of doing that now. And that's why this, like this arm transplant team, the team, you know, is so good because you have all these incredibly trained, incredibly talented people there. So like, if you get tired, you know, you know, there's somebody else right there ready to take over. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And and it makes me think like when you're reattaching these things, you said the microsurgeries with the arteries and the nerves and the the vessels, it kind of reminds me of like soldering. Right? Is it kind of similar to like a soldering iron? You you prepare the end and then you somehow use something to join them together, or so? Uh, yeah, I wish it were so simple. Um, because right. uh, although nerves are getting closer to that, they do have this uh, glue that they can use to put uh, to put together um, uh, put nerves together. Uh, fi- what's called fibrin glue. Fibrin is one of these things the body uses to make uh, blood clots with. So they do use that for some nerve repairs. Um, but back when we were doing that, uh, you know, the, certainly the initial ones, these were all sutures. So stitches. So the stitches are what we call, they're tiny. They're like finer than a human hair. Mm. And as I said, you're doing under microscope, these really fine instruments. And again, I I wasn't, although I did plenty of microsurgery, uh, at that point, there were people there who were just, they did tons of microsurgery. So they were the people that were doing that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, most mainly a lot of the plastic surgery or plastic hand surgeons were doing the micro stuff during the, my arm transplant procedures, but those are stitches. And so every vessel, you know, you're putting in eight, 10, 12 stitches, every single uh, vessel. So it's a pretty tedious job and same yeah. with the nerves weren't quite so many stitches, but, but, but it's very slow and meticulous and really tedious work. And you're talking, you're sewing. I mean, some of the vessels are relatively big, like in the upper arm area here, those are reasonably sized vessels, but as you get, you know, further down into the forearm, some of them are small vessels and certainly like in the hand, like when I, when I mentioned I was doing like finger um, replants or basically putting on fingers back in my fellowship and even early on in practice, 
those are tiny vessels. I mean, we're talking millimeter, two millimeter vessels. Um, and so the, the, um, the sutures are, are finer than, as I said, finer than a human hair. So that does take up, uh, it's very tedious, quite a bit of skill and quite, quite a bit of, uh, concentration. That I could imagine just, just with my experience soldering and my experience sewing, which I'm not great at, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like that. You, you have these micro tools under the microscope and you're very slowly. Yeah. Just right. Precise. Yeah. And they are, they're definitely coming out with, as I mentioned, the fiber and glue, which is, you know, helps with nerve repairs. That's amazing. They are coming out with these little vascular clips where these almost like these little cylinders that you can put the, um, each end of the vessel on, and it'll help to keep the vessels uh, patent. And basically, you can use that. So they're they're definitely coming out with things like that, so that you don't have to do quite. It's not so tedious. You don't have to do quite so much uh, suturing and things like that. So it does make things a little bit easier. Okay. Okay. No, that that's that's fantastic. And what about what about? Um, so I mean, there's many different ways of doing this, and there's many different tools, and there's things emerging technology. And I think it's pretty obvious to the viewers and the listeners at this point that surgeons have to be creative and you can't just, I mean, I'm sure there's things that work according to textbook, but then there's, there's things where you need to like use times where you need to like instantly think on your feet and go, wait a minute, that method didn't work. So now let's try this, or maybe we got to approach it from this angle or, or put it, you know, insert the suture here rather than there. Am I correct with, with saying that? surgeons and especially doing what you do it take a lot of creativity yeah no i agree i mean you could make an argument that certainly many procedures involve a lot of creativity uh and there's certainly many of the procedures that i do um whether it be fracture work or you know doing you know joint replacements things like that there's a lot of creativity there um i remember um asking one of my uh mentors about you know doing a procedure uh, it's called a thumb basal joint arthroplasty. And basically what that is, is, you know, for people that have arthritis kind of in this area here, very common area of our, to have arthritis, more common in women than men. But as people get older, they tend to get arthritis in that area. And there's a pretty common procedure where you you, you take out the um, arthritic part of the bone here and you take a piece of a tendon and weave it through the bone and, mm. and put it into space so the bones don't rub together anymore. I remember talking to him about how it was, you're supposed to do it in the articles. And, and, uh, he looked at me, he said, you do it. However works for you. He says, it's like your signature. He said, everybody's signature is different and everybody's procedure is different. And he, and it took me a while to really understand exactly what he said, but, but I, you know, it, it didn't take too long. Cause I, I realized that he's right. Every, everything you do. And honestly, you could say every case you do is your signature, you know, because, uh, uh, again, Something, some simple surgeries, you know, for at least for me, trigger finger releases, carpal tunnels. Well, yeah, that's not so creative, but but something like uh, joint replacements and and what I just mentioned is a type of a joint replacement. We just don't use, we use biologic tissue, namely your own tissue, rather than in general, you know, uh, metal or plastic or anything like that, which you, which many joint replacements are, like shoulder replacements, elbow replacements, or metal and plastic, or, you know, hip and knee replacements, same thing. Um but they're all creative. You, you have to make cuts in the bone in a perfect way. Uh, or if they're not so perfect, then you have to adjust your prosthesis. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, creativity and a lot of mental mental work there. I never, when I was younger, I never really realized how, how much, uh, um, you know, how much brain work there is in doing this. I guess when you're young, you, you know, it's, it's so easy to like, 
you know, get through an eight or 12 or 10 or 12 hour day and just say, okay, that was pretty easy. As you get older, you realize it's not so easy. And at the end of the day, you know, I don't know if you know, know but the brain uses 20% of your energy, which is an incredible amount when you think about it. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. a muscle that's, but it is, but it's, it's, uh, it's just generating, it's, you know, it's, it's just taking up a huge amount of your energy. And at the end of a long surgery day, you know, right now, yeah, eight, 10, 12 hours. I mean, I, I can go 7.30 to 6.30, you know, that's not uncommon for me. Well, that's 11 hours of surgery. At the mm. end of a day like that now, yeah, I'm I'm beat. Exhausted, so, so, yeah. And if, if I don't, and unfortunately, I don't take time for lunch usually. I'm just kind of snacking during the day. So at the end of a day like that, I'm I'm starved. Tired and hungry. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So So, yeah, there's a lot of creativity. There's no question that, there are a lot of inventions that, you know, people make and invent uh, and orthopedic surgeons are really very big on that invent, you know, inventing different things uh, from hip replacements, knee replacements, you know, arm, elbow replacements, all things like that. So, so it's a very, uh, you know, inventive, creative field. And I think that people can, can take this, this, just what I'm hearing, how to apply this to the real world. Basically the concept here is like, even for even for surgeons like you that go to school for, for all this amount of time, you're trained with all this procedural stuff. We need to realize that there will be times where we have to go outside of that and we can't follow the script every single time. We can have a framework that we can work with, right? But there's times where things just happen that are out of our control. And then it's like, boom, got to think on your feet and you got to realize, well, wait a second, that wasn't in the book. That was that may not have been in the program, but how am I going to get from point A to point B? And then you have to be open to that. Absolutely, yeah. I've been luckily. I try to keep try to keep situations like that to a minimum. Right. Uh, so I mean, some may say uh, I, uh, I'm a bit obsessed with detail before uh, I do a procedure uh, to try to minimize those times because uh, as I've there are times when surgery can just be terrifying. Uh, luckily that's pretty unusual. It's, I'd say it's very unusual uh, because you're, you, like you said, you're in the middle of doing something. Things didn't go according to plan. And it's like, wow, what is plan B here? Uh, luckily, as I said, that's pretty rare. And most problems, if I get into like a minor complication or a minor problem, I've dealt with it before and I know a way out of it. Uh, and so, uh, so, and then, and then if something hits you and all of a sudden you think, Okay, I got to think this through, but I got to think this through fast because you got somebody who's asleep on the table. You know, you don't have an hour to like, you know, let's just have him go to sleep. I'm going to go look it up in the books, right, uh, <laughs> and see what I can figure out. I, I, you know, I would never do that. So, uh, so anyway, um, yeah, it's it can be uh, it can be very challenging sometimes. Catch a coffee break. There's a sleep. They won't remember how long I took. Yeah. 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 No. I mean, I quite honestly, I, I I know surgeons that have done that before, but I I don't. I don't, I don't know anybody currently in practice that does that, but I know when I was younger, there were surgeons who literally would take a break for lunch. They'd go for an hour for lunch. Patients still sleep on the table. Oh, really? So, yeah. I don't, I, like I said, I don't know anybody that does that now. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure that they would, that would be tolerated anymore. The I other was days were say, yeah. Yeah. They, they, they probably wouldn't be in practice for long yeah. keeping that routine. Yeah. Up. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Wow. Okay. What about, uh, are there any surgery methods or, or ways of doing things that you're excited about learning this year? Well, this year is almost over at the time that we're recording this, but in the, in the near future. 
Yeah, I mean, every year, you know, I uh, there's uh, you know we go to meetings, and one of the big meetings I go to is the, what's called the American Society for Surgery Hand, otherwise known as the Hand Society. Um, and and there's a couple. There's another uh, American Society for Hand Surgery. But either way, yeah, I tend to try to go there, and I always kind of pick up a few things that I think are really interesting. You know, at this point in my career, there's not a ton that's new to me, but but I feel like every meeting I pick up one or two tips. And yeah, I mean, I think one of the things is, you know, we're using ultrasound more and more mm. in uh, hand surgery and orthopedic surgery. Uh, and I am kind of interested in learning a little bit more about that. I have, I have been using it some, you know, you, you can use that for uh, guide, to help guide injections. Uh, you can also use it to evaluate uh, masses or tumors that you see in the office. Uh, and sometimes I can do it instead of like getting an MRI, which is a more expensive study. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that's one thing. I mean, typically if I'll see somebody with a, with a mass in their in the hand or arm and I'm not hundred percent sure what it is. I mean, I'd say 90% of things I see, um, 95% sure that I know what it is before I even get into further study. Frequently, I don't get any more studies, but sometimes yeah. if I'm pretty sure, I'll just say, Hey, let's just get an ultrasound and I'll bring them in the ultrasound machine in and I'll look at it, the ultrasound, and then I can t say, this is a cyst or this is not a cyst. And we, you know, we can get it out. We can get an MRI. We can not get the MRI. Uh, so that's one thing. I also use it to, like for certain injections, particularly for carpal tunnel syndrome. You know, surgery is obviously a, a reasonable option for that. But um, but before we do surgery, you know, people use splints and anti-inflammatory medications. Sure. But another thing is that you can give them a steroid injection in the carpal tunnel. Well, if you, you know, and, and so the, the carpal tunnel is, is a reasonably small space. And if you give the shot in the wrong place and you hit the nerve, it's like putting your hand in a socket. I mean, that hurts. Yes. And, and so, um, so I'll frequently, I'll use the ultrasound frequently to find the nerve. And that way I, I know exactly where the nerve is. And then I'll give the needle, you know, I'll know I'm near the nerve, which is what I want to do, but I don't want to be in the nerve. And so I, I've been using that a bit more for uh, for my uh, carpal tunnel injections. Yeah, I know. I've heard I've heard about um, steroid injections and those things. And those usually, right? If if it works, you know, it it helps reduce the pain. But the actual act of doing it generally kind of hurts a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, some of the needles are are, are tough. I mean, look, the needles in the palm. I mean, the the, the hand is very very. Um, sensitive. Yeah. So palmer injections tend to hurt a lot. Other areas of the body usually don't aren't quite as highly innervated or not as many nerve endings. And so like shoulder injections, uh, top of the hand, elbow, sure, it's a needle, but it's not a horrible needle. Like, you know, when you get your flu shot or, you know, if you get a vaccine shot or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in your upper arm, you know, those um, shots, sure, it's a needle, but it's not a terrible needle. And same with shoulder injections. But you get one in your hand, yeah, they tend to hurt the palm. Same thing with the foot, the, the sole of the foot. Those hurt highly innervated areas. Yep. So. Yep. Okay. Now I'd like to get to one of my favorite questions, which is, which always brings out something crazy. And most of my guests, have you ever had um, a surgical fail or or had this experience where it was just like this big thing where you thought it was going right and then it just kind of blew up in your face and it was just a big disaster. And of course you can say this in the most politically correct way without naming names. I know the medical stuff and HIPAA laws and stuff, but if there's any way that you can think of or draw out one of these crazy epic fail stories, that would be great. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I can, you know, I can think of uh, a few things. I mean, one is uh, one of these terrifying cases where um, earlier on in my career, someone had a, um, you know, what seemed like what's called a, a, a lump in their in their underarm area, that was called the axilla. Mm-hmm. And I figured, okay, I'm an arm surgeon, you know, I can do this. You know, I, I take out masses and lumps. Didn't think it was a, you know, I, I don't tend to take out things that I think are possibly malignant. I would refer those to an orthopedic oncologist. Sure. Uh, because the person who does the initial biopsy is the one that should do the final surgery for those cases. But luckily, most things I do are really not, you know, malignant. Uh, and I'm pretty sure they're benign. Uh, but this one, I'd say, I figured, you know, it, it, I thought it was what's called a hemangioma, which is just a benign blood vessel tumor. And so um, so I get in there and I realize this hemangioma or this tumor is completely wrapped around the arteries and the nerves in the underarm area. And most of the surgeries I do are under tourniquet, meaning there's a blood pressure cuff in the arm. And yeah. so there's no bleeding during the procedure at all. Okay. That we, we uh, put the blood pressure cuff up. We can see everything perfectly. And then at the end of the procedure, we let the blood pressure cuff down and get any bleeding under control that we have because it's such a highly constrained and, and um, you know, under such a great environment, meaning no bleeding. You, you yeah. usually at the end of the procedure, there's, if you've been careful, there's, there's really minimal bleeding anyway. Okay. Because you cauterize blood vessels or you tie them off or do whatever you need to do, or you just avoid them completely or pull them out of the way, retract them. With this procedure, there was no tourniquet. And so I get in there and I realize this, this is, you know, there's no way I can do this by myself. You know, it's like, I didn't, I was like thinking, I don't know what to do. Luckily I had a friend who was a vascular surgeon and this is, that's in, it was in his ball ball. You know, this is in his, a wheelhouse. And so I actually had the nurses call him and luckily he wasn't that far away and he came and kind of, you know, helped me finish up the procedure. So mm. luckily it wasn't, didn't tell to be a failure, but it was definitely could, I could put that under, uh, for me, it was terrifying to be in a, in a uh, you know, case like that. The alternative would be just to close it up and say, Hey, you need to go see someone else. Yeah, uh, But right. I, I didn't want to be in one of these cases where I got into uncontrollable bleeding and possibly, uh, you know, have that kind of issue. That wasn't, that wasn't going to be in the cards or in the table for me. Mm. Um, you know, another one I can think of maybe not quite so terrifying, but still, you know, and I, I really don't take complications well at all. I guess no surgeon does, but right. this is a case which I was handed down from one of my partners who had, um, somebody had a broken uh, wrist and he had put what's called an external fixer on. So that's something where you you have, you know, pins, you know, in, in the arm here, mm-hmm. you have pins in the in the uh, forearm, it's pins in the hand, pins in the forearm, a bar that connects them. He was using that to stabilize the fracture. Okay. And so, you know, he sends it to me a couple of weeks later, and I can see the fracture position is just really not good at all. And uh, he says, hey, what do you think? And I said, yeah, I think you need to take that fixator off and put a plate and screws on. And so, uh, <clears throat> so he says, okay, you, you want to do it? So... <laughs> So like I, so I said, sure, I'll take care of it for you. He was kind of a general orthopedic guy, whereas I'm a, you know, really a, a um, specialist, hand specialist. So I, I said, sure, I'll take it on. So I take the fixer off and I'm getting ready to put the plate and screws on. I figure, let me just manipulate the fracture and see if maybe I can just kind of do it without a plate and screws and just put some pins in it, you know, manipulate in place, put some pins in it. And uh, sure enough, I start manipulating it and I break the radius bone. So in other words, here, here's a, a model here. Oh, okay. so 
they have pins hole pinholes here. I break yeah. the the shaft. It's already broken down here, which is what I was going to fix. Ooh. Now I break the shaft right here, and uh, right through one of the pinholes because the bone's weak from where right. the, where the pins had gone through the bone. Which... And uh, so that is really then now my, I mean my my uh, that ruined my day, <laughs> possibly my month. Uh, and so at that point, I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Well, now they've got an unstable, you know, completely forearm bone. Plus, they had the fracture down here. So I'm thinking I have to put a plate and screws here. And I also have to fix a wrist. So at that point, I actually I. Um, I left I left the OR actually at that point and I went to talk to the family and I said, look, this is what happened. This is what I think we need to do. Uh, I basically it's, un, you know, it's a complication, but I want to tell you this is what I this is what I think I should do. I'm not mm. I don't want to wake them up and then bring them back another time. So do you give me permission to do that? And of course they said yes. And so so I plated, you know, I plated the other the um the radius bone, you know, where the fracture was here. Uh, mm -hmm. I took care of the fracture here. And and eventually the patient did fine. Uh but uh but I guess that could be under <laughs> go under many of the headings in this talk where, you know, pretty scary. Uh, thinking on your feet, yeah. Application, you know, really uh, not things. Things don't always go according, going according to plan. Having a good plan B and a backup plan. Wow. Um. So this this bone after it broke was it was it sticking out at an angle or was it, did you no no it, it it wasn't sticking out but I mean I I just broken it because it's weak you know when you have an area where the screw hole, screws have been. Uh, you know, the big, I mean, it's big screws. I mean, I actually have one of those devices here. Oh, um, I can show you. Um, yeah, do, do tell, do share. It's, it's, uh, this is kind of the device. Uh, and basically what it is, is, uh, it, um, you know, if you put it on, on the arm, the, these, um, two of the pins go in here, two of the pins go on the forearm. And, uh, and so you can see these, these pins are decent size. Oh yeah. So they'll, they'll weaken the bone. And so if you push in the bone real hard, which unfortunately is what I was doing, I broke the bone. Mm. And so, um, so that was, uh, yeah, that was not a, a, uh, desirable outcome, but I mean, the good thing is the patient eventually did well. And, and, uh, honestly, it really taught and taught me one thing is that if you ever have a complication, the most important thing is being honest with the patient, being honest with the family. Um, yeah, telling them, I, I, I guess I have, I have another kind of uh, case that was just uh, uh, really scary. It was it was I was doing a, what's called an endoscopic carpal tunnel release. Okay, and that's a case where you you just make a small incision here. Yeah, you do a carpal tunnel release just through a, a little scope, and it goes up under the carpal tunnel, and you release the uh, the ligament, the carpal li transverse carpal ligament, with a little scope. So um, yeah. So routine procedure for me, I probably do a hundred a year. I've been doing these for since 1992. So I've, I've done thousands of these. Okay. And, um, I'm doing one in the anesthesiologist, really the patient's not really sleeping very well. And while I'm doing it, patients moving their arm back and forth and back and forth. And I'm, I have this scope in his hand and there's things that I don't want to cut within millimeters of the knife blade. And it's not like I have an open, you know, cut where I can see, well, you know, this knife blade is in there and, and I, if he's moving, I can't see. Why was so he doing my procedure? Yeah, yeah, because the, the anesthesiologist, he just didn't have good anesthesia. Oh. And, and honestly, I should have just said, get control of the patient. And when you get control of the patient, I'm going to proceed. Until then, 
you need to get this patient under control. Yeah. And, uh, and, and since then I've done that several times, but at, at this point I didn't I'm trying to finish my procedure. I get it done a week later. I see the patient. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, still have some numbness in my fingers. And I said, okay, a week later, he says, my numbness is worse than it was before surgery. I can't feel my, my three fingers. Ooh, and I'm thinking yep. to myself, Oh my God, I cut the nerve. Median nerve, right? Oh so, yeah. And so a week later I see him and he says, it hasn't come back. I can't, I can't feel my fingers at all. And I'm really, and, and I can't get nerve studies at this point because if you have a nerve injury, the nerve studies don't show something for a minimum of four to six weeks. So I said to him, we can wait, you know, the four to six weeks after surgery, get nerve studies, see what's going on. We can go back in and explore it. And I'm really, I mean, I'd never done anything like this before. In other words, cut, cut anything bad yeah. uh, during this kind of surgery. So he says, he says to me, and he's this big, Big guy, big mechanic, huge hands, just a big guy, which yeah. is part of the reason. I mean, he's so darn strong, you know, during the procedure, we just couldn't get control of his arm. Huh. So he says, go in there, doc. Let's see what's going on. So I go in there, and luckily, uh, I guess I did the open procedure at this point. I just hadn't done a complete release. In other words, I'd gotten most of it, but the very end of the ligament, I hadn't been released. So uh -huh. I finished the release, and you could see how the nerve was just really compressed because most of the ligament was released and he was just pinched or this one area. Ah, I, so I finished the release and he was fine. Uh, and he did oh. great. In fact, he came back eventually for me to do his other hand. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, like I said, surgery can be, sometimes you just don't know. So, and, oh. and it's how you handle it. I mean, from the get go, I said, I don't think I cut anything, but I just, I just don't know. So it's very important in my opinion, if you think you have a complication to kind of deal with it and take care of it. Exactly. Wow. Well, that's good. That's good. Glad that nerve wasn't cut in that instance. Yeah. Yeah. And that was fun. Okay. Uh, is there, was there a specific person, Dr. Bruce, that uh, inspired you to be an, orthop an orthopedic surgeon? Yeah. So I would say, you know, when I, as I said earlier, when I, when I did my uh, rotations, my orthopedic rotations mm -hmm. as a med student, you know, those residents I worked with that first week, they were just really just, inspirational guys. I mean, they, they were really the reason. And it was, um, there were, there were a couple of them. There were, there was, uh, uh, Harry and Mark Figgy. They were, they were, I still remember him. Mark Figgy actually works at, still works at a uh, hospital for special surgery in New York city. Uh, he's, uh, one of the, uh, uh, big, uh, uh, attendings there, which is a very famous uh, orthopedic hospital in New York. Um, they, they just like, you know, they knew what they were doing. They, they we could see they enjoyed that. They loved what they were doing, loved what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And they just, uh, they just inspired me. I said, this is something I can see myself doing for the rest of my life. And then during residency, you know, when I did my residency at Hopkins, I worked with a couple of hand surgeons there. Same thing, just inspirational people, uh, just really uh, demanding. One of them in particular was very demanding uh, and, uh, you know, accepted nothing short of excellence. Uh, uh, and uh, <laughs> that's where I learned fear is a great motivator. Um and, uh, um, uh, and so, uh, and he, cause he was, uh, definitely, uh, a, a, could be a intimidating person, Okay. Uh, but, but it, like I said, accepted, a, um, you know, nothing short of excellence, but they, in, they inspired me to go into hand surgery, Andy Weiland and, uh, Russ Moore, uh, Andy Weiland actually went on to become the president of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, as well as the American Society for Surgery of the Hand. So two of the big societies that, that, uh that, you know, most hand, many hand surgeons belong to. Mm. Uh, and they were, they were just, you know, these are the kind of people that they're, I would consider my mentors and really 
um, caused me to really think about going into orthopedic surgery and hand surgery. Interesting. And so they're still, they're still around to this day. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Andy Weiland just retired. He's probably in his late seventies or, or, or 80 at this point. And Russ Moore, I think he's in his seventies. So I think they've, they've retired at this point, but, uh, um, but yeah, they're still, still alive. And, and uh, yeah, I see them. Uh, uh, I used to see them every so often. I don't see them as much anymore. So. Okay. And what, if there are any resources, if, what resources would you recommend? Like if, if there was anyone out there that was interested in learning more about the field of orthopedic surgery and they wanted to explore it further, what would you suggest those people do? Yeah. I mean, obviously Google's a great resource. Dr. Google always can uh, give you you know answers. I see patients every day. Hey, well, I don't know. Dr. Google told me this. I see that a lot. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Dr. Google doesn't really have good context. Um, but, <laughs> but I, you know, I do, I, I, I do agree that I, I like my patients to be informed. Uh, and so I, I don't discourage them from using Google at all. In fact, if anything, I encourage them to use Google. It's just that sometimes they lose context from, from what they're, uh, from uh, looking at a Google search. But, you know, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons website has tons of information on it, uh, where you can learn about anything in orthopedics. Uh, there's uh, the American Society for Surgery of the Hand, same thing, a website. Uh, there's also the, so it's ASSH, American Society for Surgery of the Hand. And then there's American Society for Hand Surgery, uh, a, um, ASHS, American Society for Hand Surgery. That's another, those are both two big hand societies, and they both have lots of information on the websites about hand surgery. Um, and you, you certainly could, uh, people, you know, couldn't go wrong uh, from uh, using any of those websites. Okay. And that was, they were both .com or .org? Yeah, I think it's ASSH.org, American Society for Surgery, the hand.org. And American Society for Hand Surgery, um, I don't remember what that what that is. I, I'm actually not a member of that, but I know plenty of really good hand surgeons that are. Um, and uh, they have meetings. I've just not been to one of their meetings, but I have been. Uh, I go to the Hand Society meeting or ASSH meeting almost every year. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Perfect. Finally, Dr. Bruce Swalik, uh, where can people find out more about you and what you do? And if, uh, if you have any, if you have any uh, educational materials or are you just focused just in the surgery area? I was just going to give you the opportunity if there, you wanted to learn more about you, uh, if there was sure. like a website or. or yeah. Anything. Yeah. I mean, my, my, uh, my company website, uh, Towson Orthopedics, uh, I think it's Towson TowsonOrtho.com. Uh, there's lots of information there. You can look at all the docs in my group. I mean, we have over 20, 25 providers or, or physicians and PAs, nurse practitioners in our group. Lots of educational material there, you know, bios and all the docs. So yeah, Towson Orthopedics or TowsonOrtho.com, I think is the website. T-A-L-S-O-N? Uh, T-O-W-S-O-N, Towson. Oh. Uh, ortho. T-O-W-S-O-N, Ortho, O-R-T-H-O. Uh, dot com. Got it. And then, then and like I said, there's lots of information there. Okay. 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 Well, that, that, uh, that's pretty straightforward to the point. So guys, you heard it, you heard it right here on the making magic podcast. You could check them out at those links. Those links will also be, uh, in the show notes. If this field, this magical field, uh, piques your interest at all, it really takes dedication and persistence and creativity to be in this kind of field. That's what I'm getting from this conversation based on everything that you said. I think anything in the medical 
field, if you want to take it that far, you really got to be passionate about it first. And you got to be dedicated to the the school part, the the university, and then the the extra training, and and probably you you go to like yearly training or every X amount of months. You probably have different different courses or or something. I, w- I would assume that you go to to stay up on par. Yeah, I mean we're we're required, I think, to have uh, fifty continuing education credits oh. or fifty hours of continuing education. I think every two years, maybe something like that. Okay. Um, and, uh, but I, I, uh, I, I go to the hand society meeting, as I mentioned, almost every year. Uh, and then, uh, you know, there's, there's various tests. I, I usually take a, an exam once a year. It's a, it's a written exam, uh, that I usually take. And then there's other courses we can go to. Uh, and then, you know, as an orthopedic surgeon to be board certified, you have to recertify every 10 years. And so same thing for that, uh, you actually, depending on how you do it, uh, uh, the way I'm doing is I have to take a test, um, every year for five years. Um, and, um, uh, and for the first five years, you just have to get your certificate certification credits for the last five years. You have to take a shorter test every year for five years. So yeah, there's plenty of, uh, educational stuff that we do every year. It's required. Uh, and, uh, I, I actually don't find it that difficult. And I, I, you know, it's, it's a field I've chosen. I, I kind of, I kind of like, you know, learning about what I'm doing. Sure, sure. Yeah. You know, it's it's been said that if you really truly like what you do, you won't ever work a day in your life. So right. obviously yeah. it's this is something a field that you're really drawn to and that you enjoy and that's good because people need to people need to be deep steeped in their passions and to get some satisfaction out of their life. And that's why I wanted to bring you on just to kind of show people that even though this is a show about creativity and I bring on a lot of artists and things you don't have to be an artist or a graphic designer or a performer or a prop maker to still exercise creativity in your field. And uh, Dr. Bruce, I think you've demonstrated that that you are capable of and, and everybody else, especially that's on your team, with doing these incredibly magical arm reattachment, limb reattachment surgeries. It's, it's a character trait that you all share. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Bruce Wallach, for taking the time out of your evening to jump on the making magic podcast yeah thank you sean really appreciate your having me absolutely and you guys have been watching and listening to another episode of the making magic podcast hopefully you guys have been getting a lot of value out of this episode and if you have feel free to follow the show drop the show a nice review if you're listening to one of the popular podcast apps or if you're watching here on youtube give this video a thumbs up click the notification bell and subscribe you guys know what to do i don't even have to say this but I'm saying it anyways. So I want to thank you all again so much for joining us. And this is Sean Jay with Dr. Bruce Wallach here, and we'll see you guys on the next one.